Well, good morning. Good to see you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here today. Um, Want to just let you know if this is your first time or first week, we've been in a conversation. Uh, based in Ephesians 6, we've been looking at uh, the armor of God more specifically. Ephesians 6 uh, is, is reminding us, it's informing us that there is an enemy that is ever-present. And you and I are uh, despised and hated by this enemy. And, and the enemy wants to come and kill, steal, and destroy you. But don't be alarmed. Uh, be ready. And let's prepare every day for the battle that awaits us and the passage that has grounded us these last several weeks is Ephesians 6.10. It says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. We're reminded that there is an enemy that there's a battle going on even now for your thought life, your prayer life, your, uh, your finances, your marriage, your family, whatever. There's a battle going on, and they're fought and won second by second. But the difference maker for you and I is to realize that we're in this fight. To realize that you have an enemy. And so we prepare accordingly. And so Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't warn us, scare us, and then say, good luck with that. He actually moves forward in verse 14. He says, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And in every situation, take the shield of faith. And with it, you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? I didn't, probably, yes. <laughs> God's word. We've been walking through truth and we've been walking through righteousness and walking through peace and walking through faith and, and salvation and we move into this place where we are given this final piece to the armor. It's like the final episode of your favorite show where it just like all comes full circle where we go, okay, now I'm ready. We have this sword that has been handed to you and I. We've been invited to take up the sword, which is the sword of the spirit. And the most fascinating thing to me about the armor as presented to us in Ephesians 6, is that um, there are no long-range weapons given to us. There's no cannon of truth that can be like fired into unsuspecting sinners. There's no uh, arrows of peace that can be shot into those who are unrest. There's no javelin of, you know, morality that we could throw into the immoral. There's no long-range weapons. You're given a sword. I don't know what you know about a sword, but a sword can only be so long. The enemy is going to be close, meaning we've gotten no long-range weapons, so the fight must be near us. Now, I don't know how often you fight, and I don't need to know. That's between you and God. Uh, but I don't really look for fights. But if a fight were to present itself, I would want it to be a long-range fight. Like, I would want to have a long-distance combat. I don't want hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat. And yet what Paul is describing is that the enemy is after you and you've been given a weapon that is only so long, meaning the enemy is going to be in your airspace. The arena is not far from you. It is near you. And Paul describes this hand-to-hand combat where we've been given a weapon. The sword is the only offensive weapon that Paul describes. And the only reason you've been given an offensive weapon is because you got to fight. You don't hand someone a sword and not expect them to need it or to use it. See, the civilized, they build shelters and invite God to come and dwell with them. But we choose to move with God. Wherever he chooses to go and whatever battle he brings us into, we choose to engage. 
The sword has been given to us not so we can hide, but so that we can fight. That the sword, it moves us from what God can do in us to what God can do through us. That God is not just fighting our battles for us, but he's inviting us into the battle so that he can fight through us. You've been given a sword to take up, and I want us all to position ourselves to a place where we stand in the battlefield, where we charge the enemy, because when it's all said and done, we will be victorious. Like you and I have already been given the victory. Christ has defeated hell, death, and the grave. But we've got to face these battles daily. And we've been given a weapon, the weapon uh, which is uh, God's word. And the thing about the sword over arrows and spears is that it never leaves your hand. It's always near you. It should always be near you. It never leaves your side. It's always at the ready so that when the battle comes, you're prepared. So it's vital that we understand what this sword is. It's vital that we understand if we only have one weapon, we need to be proficient in the use of that weapon. If we've only been given one uh, means of, of, of fighting the enemy, we need to know what that looks like. And the sword that Paul describes is, uh, in, in, in context is the Mesherion. The Mesherion is Greek, it's not Roman. It's where we get the word machete. It's for chopping. It's a single blade. It's for chopping away. It's for cutting down and breaking down. This sword that you've been given is not just a regular sword. It says, take the sword, verse 17, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. The sword is being described as God's word. Now, the Bible uses uh, two different Greek words to describe God's word. You can probably guess what the primary one is, right? It's the Bible. When you say God's word, we almost inevitably go, the Bible. There's one in the seat back in, all, in front of all of you. We have a lot of Bibles. This is God's word. And one of the uses is uh, God's written word. And, and, and God's written word is called logos. So if you want to sound smart this afternoon, you can go, let's get out the logos. and Let's read God's word. This is the, the Greek word for written word. But the other word that the Bible uses for God's word is rhema. This is God's spoken word. So we have Logos and we have Rhema. We have God's written word, uh, which is the scriptures. It's a book about Jesus. Highly recommend it. You should read a copy. And then we have Rhema, which is God speaking to you and I in real time. And I believe the Bible comes to life. And I believe it was written a long time ago and uh, written by men and breathed by the Holy Spirit and, 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 and blessed by God. And all of this, we believe the word is uh, inerrant and it is for today. And, and you read a passage and, and, it, and it breathes life. It's a living book. It's a living uh, thing constantly speaking. We also believe that God himself is speaking through Rhema. That God desires to communicate with us. I mean, how incredible is that? Creator of heaven and earth, formed a universe so vast that you and I have yet to discover all of it. Mankind has yet to discover the vastness of space. We've yet to discover the depths of the ocean. There are places on this planet we still haven't gone and creatures that we still have not discovered and tried to eat, right? He desires to speak to you and me. Like, we could all leave after that. That God did not leave us to fend for ourselves, but he loves you so much, he wants to communicate with you. He didn't just leave you a book behind for you to read and feel guilty when you don't. He wants to speak to us in real time through rhema. And the word Paul uses in Ephesians is rhema, not logos. When Paul says, here's the sword of the spirit, this is God's word, in context, fact check it later, he is saying, this is rhema. Now, Rhema uses logos. 
So if you're hearing the voice of the Lord and it has nothing to do with the Bible, that's not God, right? So we got to check that voice at, at the door. God uses the scriptures. He's never going to conflict with the scriptures. It will use the scriptures and be birthed out of the scriptures. And, and when we speak rhema, we should speak in scriptures. That rhema is speaking to our current situation and it draws from scripture. And it does not conflict, but rhema uses logo, or logos rather, but it's spoken word. It's what God is saying. That Raymond, rhema rather, uh, refers to this instant personal speaking of God to mankind. That our God is not silent. Turn to somebody next to you and say, God's not silent. Turn to somebody else. you got two people saying, God's not silent. I think we need to be reminded that our God is not silent because here's the reason we need this reminder is that a lot of us believe that God is silent. And we believe he's silent because we haven't heard from him. And we may know that he wants to communicate with us and we may think that he desires to speak, but, but I haven't heard him speak. I haven't heard his voice. Is he British? Is he not? Is he, what is he, is he like? What's his voice sound like? We don't... A lot of us don't know, and so we just assume that he's silent, but this instant speaking from God comes to us within and is based on the constant written word without that God is speaking to us. And it's by the rhema word that we can know God personally in real time. See, I think a lot of us know a lot about God, but it's through rhema that we get to know God. You can know all about Driving a boat, you can know everything there is. You can have the hat, you can have the sunglasses, you can be ready to drive, but never drive a boat and only know about boating, but not really know how to boat. And it's only when you step on to the boat and you fire it up and you whatever you do to boats, because I don't know, you, you take off and you're like, I'm a captain now, right? It's only when you and I begin to communicate with God that we stop allowing God to be something that we study this test subject that we poke and we put under a magnifying glass and we wonder what he's capable of, and we actually engage in communication. And that's the difference between owning a sword and actually pulling the sword from the sheath. We can know all about God but never use or listen or, or, or lean into God. That sometimes we receive God's rhema word as we're reading prayer, uh, reading and praying and, 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 and spending time with God. And many times God will speak as we're reading his word and, and you breathe new life and, and all of this. But we need to understand that God is always speaking. And there's a passage in Job 33, 14, that says, for God speaks time and again. But a person may not notice. Now, I like this passage. It's been my favorite for a long time. I like it because uh, for several reasons. One is a constant reminder to me that God desires to speak. So there are moments in my life I'm like, ah, I can't hear from God. It's not that I can't hear from God is that I'm not hearing from God. And so this passage reminds me, God speaks time and again. But we don't notice it. There are times when God is speaking and, and we don't notice it. And I think it's encouraging because it presents the fact that God is speaking and it presents the problem that we don't notice it. God is speaking. We don't notice it. You're like, I've never heard from God. It's because you haven't noticed it. I don't know if God desires to speak. He does, and it's because you don't notice it that you don't hear him. And more often than not, the battles of our life prevent us from hearing from the Lord. We get caught up in doing all of the things. Some of us, we get caught up in doing things for God. And we look up and we realize that we become less like him and we become disconnected from him. And we're, we're doing all the right things, that, but we're not doing them for the right reasons. Can you imagine knowing that you've got to go to battle 
Being given all the armor, putting the helmet on, getting the breastplate on, getting the belt tied on nice, everything's got a good fit. You got the sandals of peace ready, and you, you pick up your shield of faith and you just walk out the door. Here we go. Did I forget something? Now let's just go. We'll figure it out as we go. Right? I've forgotten my car keys sometimes. I don't do it often, but when I do, it just feels weird, doesn't it? Like you forget your phone, you get halfway through your day, and you're like, I don't have my f- phone. It just feels like you're a part of you is gone, like you lost your arm. And, and there's this idea that so many of us get suited up for battle, but we don't take the sword with us. And we wonder why the enemy keeps gaining ground, why we keep giving in to temptation. We wonder why the enemy isn't afraid or isn't being pushed back. And it's because we don't have the word of God. We're allowing ourselves to be hit with the enemy. We've got the shield, extinguishing arrows, and we're taking a couple of blows to the chest and to the head, and we got the armor, so we're protected, but we're not actually pushing the enemy back. And it's because the sword of the spirit is not a part of our repertoire. It's not something that we picked up and engaged in and, and utilized. And in Job 33, he's saying, God's speaking, Rama. God is speaking time and again, but maybe you don't notice it. And in context, this verse comes up in the Bible in a really difficult time in Job's life. Most, most everyone, whether you've been in church or not, probably have a pretty good idea of, of Job and his situation. Job uh, was really wealthy. He actually had quite a bit going on for him. Uh, he had uh, seven sons. I guess that's wealthy. He had three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 cattle, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and a lot of people working for him. He had a pretty good-sized farm going. He had quite a bit of income coming in, and, and, and his life was, was going really well. And in Job 1.6, we find this really unique and strange conversation transpiring. In Job 1.6, it says, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? Satan says, From roaming through the earth. Satan answered him, and walking around him. Now I think we can pause here real quick and just recognize, this reinforces Ephesians that there's forces against us, that the enemy is roaming the earth, that he desires to move among us and and kill, steal, and destroy us, and so there's a real and present danger here. This is a reminder that the enemy wants to tempt us to reject God. He wants to be uh, ever-present in our life to distract us and to discourage us and to to move us away from God, And, and sometimes he wins. Sometimes he takes ground. Sometimes he gets us off track. Sometimes he pushes us away from God, but we know that God is greater, and so we don't have to be afraid of the enemy. But we have to be aware. And in verse 8, God says, Have you considered my servant Job? Now, if I'm Job and I hear of this, I'm like, seriously, God? Like, leave my name out of your mouth. Why, why, is, why is my name the one that comes up? And God says this about him. No one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Can you imagine God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, saying this about you? I can't either. I'm just kidding. Can you imagine? I mean, God's saying, hey, he's blameless. He's a person of utmost integrity who resists evil. See, you don't get to be that person without being tempted and tested. We don't get to be called by God to be a person of perfect integrity without having some problems along the way. In verse 9, Satan answered the Lord. Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. We get a little glimpse into how God works in our lives, that there is a protection, a hedge of protection, a a blanket of protection that God allows to be on those of good integrity, those who love and fear God. And and we also see a glimpse of, uh, of there being a blessing of his hands that God blesses the work of his hands and, and his possessions of increase, that God takes care of those who love and serve him. But Satan says, stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, very well the Lord told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. And so Satan left the Lord's presence. Satan was saying, hey, the only reason that Job is blameless and of utmost integrity and fears the Lord is because of all that God has done for him. I wonder many times in my life, do I serve God for what he does for me or for who he is? If God never did another thing for you, if God had never taken care of you or blessed you or protected you or anything, would you still be here this morning? If you lost everything in your life, would you still serve the Lord? See, a lot of us at the very core of our hearts are going, I hope that doesn't ever come to happen in my life. I don't want that testing. But the question still remains, why do we serve God? Why do we follow God? Is it because of his blessing, his protection? Is it for the good things that he does? Is it for his gifts? Because every good and perfect thing comes from God. Is it for that? Or do we love him for who he is? And Satan is saying, Job only serves you because you blessed him. He's rich, he's taken care of. And and everything that we know about Job is from the moment Job has aligned his life with Christ, everything has been up and to the right. It's all been going well for him. And Satan wanted to prove that Job worshiped the gifts of God more than he worshiped God. And Job's faithfulness to God is about to endure some serious testing. And I I read in Job, and I'm like, oh, let's just stop here, because everything after this is so torturous. It's just awful to read all the things that transpire with Job over the next several chapters. We find that piece by piece, moment by moment, Job's life just starts falling apart. And it's not a great Sunday afternoon read, so I table it until you're miserable already, and then it's more fun to read, to commiserate with Job. But his life's falling apart. He loses this, and he loses that, and he loses this, and, and it's awful. And Job is miserable. And there are moments in all of our lives where we can relate to Job. We've had a loss of a loved one. We've lost a job or a dream. We've had something happen. It's a health thing. It's a financial thing or whatever. And, And we look up and we realize that our nice, suburban, safe, Christian life is in jeopardy. We look up and we realize that all hell is against us and sometimes it wins. Maybe the attacks, they're not physical. Maybe they're mental. We realize that we're mentally under attack by the enemy and, and if we're not prepared and we wake up and just not ready for it, the enemy just throws everything he has at us. We feel as though we've been hit by the Mack truck of life and, and, and things happen which cause you to feel as though your entire life is all of a sudden unpredictable and, and, and overwhelming. And our faithfulness to God becomes a challenge in every single turn. And I would venture to say that every one of us in this room have been in this situation. Some of you are in this situation right now. You're at a place where you just need God to show himself. God, just say a little something. Just show me that you're still in control. Just just prove yourself. I can have faith and I can endure anything 
if I could just hear your voice, if I could just know that you haven't left me, light a bush on fire, cause a donkey to speak, something, I don't, I don't care what it is, do something. But then I wonder in my life, in these moments where I'm like, God, just speak, if he's not speaking, if there's not some bush on fire, or some donkey speaking, and I'm just locked in on my pain and my problem to where I'm not recognizing that God is actually speaking in the midst of it. I mean, there are storms sometimes that are so loud you can't hear yourself think. It's very possible that God could be speaking in the midst of your greatest turmoil, the rhema, the sword that's in your hands. It's there, it's present, but you just don't stop and recognize it. For God speaks time and again, but what? We don't notice it. And maybe you've prayed and you've wondered if, if God can and will speak to you. And you're like, God, just, just speak. And maybe your life, it's not in turmoil, but you just need guidance. You need direction. You need to know which step to take. You need to know which way to go. And, and I believe that God desires to speak to each and every one of us. In fact, I believe he's already speaking to us if we'll just listen. That Job begins to cry out to God in a moment of brutal honesty. In verse 20 of Job 30, he says, I cry out to you for help, God, but you do not answer me. When I stand up, you merely look at me. You've turned against me with cruelty. Anybody ever felt like that? You ever just had so much stuff, you're like, God, you're just staring. Nod, smile, grin, wink, something just, you're just, you're just not there. Job feels like this cry for help from God, it's being ignored. And I know you felt like this, I feel like this all the time, where I'm like, God, hey, you're ignoring me. And we start to create excuses many times. We will go, well, he's spiritualizing. He's probably busy. Like, there's other people with worse problems, so he can't speak to me or take care of me because obviously he's busy. Or, or then we get self-deprecating. I love to be self-deprecating. We get in this moment where we're like, oh, he just doesn't care about me. He cares about everybody else but me. And, and, and regardless, as a God is there. And he's saying, just look up. Just look around. I'm in the midst of whatever you're going through. And Job, he's lost everything, and he had to, had to look around to find God, and he just wanted to hear from God. And in chapter 33, we find Job's friend Elihu. Job's friend Elihu reminds Job that God has not abandoned him. And I want to be that Elihu to you this morning. I want you to be that Elihu to someone else today. I want us to remind one another that God's not done, that the rhema, word of God, the sword of the spirit has been given to us and we're gonna carry it with us and use it as needed. Job 33 once says, but now, Job, pay attention to my speech and listen to my, all my words. I'm gonna open my mouth, my tongue will form words on my palate, my words will come from my upright heart and my lips speak with sincerity what they know. Verse 12, but I tell you that you are wrong in this matter. Since God is greater than man, why do you take him to court for not answering anything a person asks? For God speaks time and again, but a person may not notice. Why are we taking God to court every time we don't think we hear from him when God speaks time and time again, we just don't hear it? In this moment, God is using Elihu to rebuke and to challenge and to encourage Job to shake him out of his self-pity and to help him look and realize that God is speaking. But here's the thing. He doesn't like what he's saying. Isn't it interesting how often we want God to speak but how quick we are to not notice when he's saying things we don't want to hear? 
God, I want you to speak. And God's going, well, we're going to go through some stuff, man. Oh, I need you to speak, God. No, no, I need God to speak. Yeah, but it's going to be tough for a while. We're going to have our faith tested. No, nope, no, nope, that's not, I need God. Where are you at, God? And God's going, I'm talking to you. You just don't want to hear it. If you've raised children, you know how quick they are to hear only what they want to hear. Some say men do that too, but I don't, I don't see that. I don't hear that. But here we are in this moment where we're going, I need God to speak. But we're going to have to recognize that we don't always get to choose what God is going to say. But we do get to choose whether or not we're going to listen and obey. And I think that's the tension that all of us feel when we get the sword of the Spirit strapped on and we have the armor ready is we all want God to speak as long as he's saying the things that we want him to say in the moments that we want him to say it. But the second he says something that we don't agree with and we're in a moment that we don't like to be in, we go, that's not God. But God's working in all things. He's going to turn all situations into things for his good. That the sword is there for us to use. God's written word is there. And it's interesting how often we don't want to hear it and God's saying, it's still my voice, even if you want to hear it or not. That we love the sword when we can use it to defend our opinion. We love the sword when we can use it to hurt others. We love the sword when we can use it to our benefit. It's God's word. I mean, fight everybody with it. But we don't love it when it starts to challenge and change our own life. And it isn't that God doesn't desire to speak. It's that we've got a desire to hear him no matter what he's saying. And in the following verse, Job's friend begins to list the various ways that God speaks. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's an important list to pay attention to in verse 15. God speaks in a dream, a vision in the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber on their beds. He uncovers their ears at the time and terrifies them with warnings in order to turn a person from his actions and suppress his pride. God spares his soul from the pit, his life from crossing the river of death. Like, these are important things to pay attention to. If you've had a dream and you're like, I don't understand it. It's possible God was speaking to you. It's possible you had Thai food too late that night too. But we've got to reconcile that with God's word. There's times when God speaks to us in ways that we didn't expect. Dreams and visions. And he does this to warn us and to turn us towards him. And Elihu continues. He says, a person may be disciplined on his bed with pain and constant distress in his bones. So that he detests bread and his soul despises his favorite food. His flesh wastes away to nothing and his unseen bones stick out. He draws near to the pit and his life to the executioner. I'm like, let's go back to the dreams and visions thing. You know what I mean? I don't want the deathbed and the executioner stuff. But he's reminding us that God speaking no matter your situation or circumstance whether it's in dreams and visions and he's warning you and turning you, or it's in your deathbed and your bones are weary and you don't want to eat any bread, God is still speaking. And we don't get to pick and choose how God speaks, but we can choose whether we're going to listen. Hearing from God during the battle is our weapon. It's how we fight. The sword of the Spirit is what happens when I turn what I've heard around on the enemy. When I begin to speak the truth about my life, when I begin to speak what God has spoken to me, the enemy is a liar and he's defeated. I've been made more than a conqueror in Christ. If God is for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me will prosper. God's spoken word is our weapon. So I don't know what situation you're in, but you can speak God's word to the enemy and remind him that he's a liar. And that ends up being our sword. That it's not just about hearing God's word, but it's about speaking God's word audibly in your situation. 
I've been made more than a conqueror. This will not defeat me. God is for me. Who can be against me? By speaking the rhema and hearing rhema, whether that means God bringing scripture in your life and circumstances or by hearing from God and you speaking directly, we build our faith. We initiate the miraculous and we conquer the enemy. So what is God saying to you? What is he speaking in your life? In order to hear from God during the battle, Elihu tells us three simple things that we have to do. And in Job 33, 31, we've got to pay attention. Job, he says, and listen to me. Be quiet and I will speak. Very simply, we're told, first and foremost, you've got to pay attention. This is the simplest thing that you can be told today. Everybody's like, yeah, that makes real sense. You've got to pay attention in order to hear. But spiritually, how often are we paying attention to God? How often are we noticing the various ways that God is speaking on a daily basis? I mean, is it a sunrise? Is it a butterfly? Is it a rainbow? Is it a spiritual battle? Is it uh, with bloodshed and everything? Like, what is God saying and how is he saying it? Are we aware? Are we alert in it? See, a lot of times what we do, though, is we limit God. When we say I'm speaking, we go, well, yeah, that's an audible voice, and that's how I'm sharing, and we're using words, and it's in English, and that's how we're communicating, and yet we limit God and how he can communicate with us. And what happens is we go, well, God's not speaking, and God's going, look at all that I'm doing around you. There's the burning bush, and there's the speaking donkey, and there's the this and the that, and the stuff is going on. God's speaking. He's wanting to draw us into a relationship of faith and intimacy and love, and that doesn't come through information alone. You can't drive a boat without actually getting on the boat, right? We've got to understand that information alone is always going to be limiting, but it comes through trust and obedience and willingness to be present in the mystery of God. How often can we say that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware, I'm walking in open awareness of what God is saying and what he's, what he's doing, it comes through letting God reveal himself to us as, as we receive this revelation. We're going, God, I desire to hear from you. I've got the sword of the spirit with me. I want to hear the rhema, the, the, the spoken word of God. And the second thing that Elihu's telling us is we've got to listen. We've got to listen. Again, not novel, right? You didn't come here for, for novel, new information. You came here to be reminded of what we should already know and practice, yet we don't. We have to be listening for God. And in John 10, it says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Sheep, dumbest creatures on the planet, but they recognize their shepherd's voice. Meaning, it doesn't matter how smart you are in the room. All are welcome. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Christ, how close you feel to God. If you haven't made a decision to follow Christ yet, you can do that in a moment, in an instant. And all of a sudden, you are in this moment where you are able to, capable of, knowing and recognizing God's voice. If we'll listen. But we're busy. Life is busy. School and work, and we all have cell phones, and, and there's, 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 we're busy, we're busy people, and rarely do we stop and take time to hear from God. We'll talk to God. I love doing that. I vent to God all the time, complain, gripe, let him in on all the, the junk in my life. I love to talk, but how often do we stop and, and actually listen? Because, see, we're not good at listening. Even when we're listening, we're listening to figure out what we're going to say next. Have you noticed that about yourself? After service, we're going to have some, you'll have conversations. Watch. 
You're listening and you're going, how should I respond? Your brain's fast. It's doing it quick, but it's going, oh, I could say this, and this will make me feel like this, and this will make me smart, and this won't, and I don't want to say this, but I want to say that. And we're listening with the intention of responding. When have we just stopped and said, God, what are you going to say? I just want to listen. But see, you and I, we're used to having information forced down our throats. You want me to know something, force it on me. Put it everywhere. Put it in, you know, ads and and media. Just push it, push it, push it. Just force information on me. We're used to being force-fed, eating out of a buffet of just like everything. I got all this information. And it's very difficult for us to stop and listen. We're not used to listening. And unless we take the time to pay attention and to listen, we'll never know the voice of God. God's speaking time and again. You don't notice it. Third thing he tells us is that we got to be quiet. I think of the three, this is the one that I'm probably the worst at. I have an issue with silence. I like noise. I write sermons with, with two or three things going on. I like the chaos. I like the, the noise. I edit video or do whatever, and, and I like to have stuff going on. Uh, I don't know why, but, but I just don't like silence of the radio and just stuff. I, I, I like constant chaos. I, I crave noise. I crave audible garbage, just constant distraction. And it's very difficult to hear from God when we have something going on all the time. If God's speaking to us all the time, it's up to us to hear. And God desires to speak, but when are we going to pause? And see, a lot of times we pause and we go, well, now it's silent. Now what? God's in the silence. And I think a lot of times we don't recognize that sometimes the silence is where God is already. And it doesn't always have to be something grandiose and large and big. But sometimes that silence, that peace, that quiet of the soul is God speaking. But God desires to communicate with you right now. Through rhema, through the word, through uh, our experiences in life. That is our weapon. And we wield God's word against the enemy. That in the midst of the battle, we can say God is there. In the midst of the chaos, God is there. And what we can say is, no weapon formed against me will prosper. You will deliver me from my enemies and defend me from those that rise up against me. So no matter what you face when you walk out of this room, you can look up and go, no weapon formed against me will prosper. I will sing of your strength and will joyfully proclaim your faithful love no matter what. You were for me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. You love me. If you have been my stronghold, Refuge in my day of trouble. No weapon formed against me will prosper. You were with me. You were for me. You were my front guard. You're my rear guard. God loves us and desires to communicate with us. That is our weapon. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Sing your life and your death.